World's Finest Podcast, Episode 52. James Doe, and with me, as always, is Michael David Sims. Hello, how are you? Do you really need to ask? (laughs) (laughs) At this point, this semester just seems like it's never going to end, even though it does end in a week, but it's it's just taken its toll on me like no other semester before, and I just want it to end Mm -hmm. like like a month ago. So, I'm, I'm just... I'm just physically exhausted at this point. Anyway, how are you? This upcoming Friday, um, I'm finally moving into my apartment. For those of you that don't listen to Earth to Detonate the show, you would have missed the announcement that uh, my girlfriend and I, Jenny and I, uh, we broke up uh, at the end of January. Um, so I've been living with my mom out in Indiana since like the, the start of February. Um, but yeah, at the end of this month, at the beginning of May, so the Friday after this episode airs, um, I'll be settled in my own place. Um, James and I were recording this Monday night, uh, so technically tomorrow, Tuesday, is the day I get to pick up the key and the lease, and I've been told I can actually start moving boxes in right then and there. Even though I can't start living there until the 1st, I can start moving stuff in. So that's so cool because then that means come Friday, hopefully I'll only have like a few more boxes to move in, and I can use the day to actually unpack instead of using that day to move. It's it's going to be a very busy week for me. Okay, first one is from Tim. Writes, I just wanted to point out that in Gotham Girls, the cop you labeled as transgendered was actually a guy undercover. I haven't rewatched the episode as I don't want to buy the vile thing that is birds of prey to see them, and I don't have the time to search the web. When I first watched this episode, I got uh, I got no impression that that the guy was a cross-dresser. If memory serves, they explained he was investigating Nora's sister, Dora. I could be mistaken, but if you could pr- uh, provide insight on this, I would be much obliged. P.S., speaking of Birds of Prey, how was, uh, what was your opinion of, on that catastrophe? I've never seen Birds of Prey outside of like a few minutes, so I can't comment. When it comes to the copying of Undercover, unless it was explicitly said he was undercover, I don't buy it. Why would they send a male cop into drag to then investigate someone. They would just get one of the female officers to do that. Next one's from Eric writes, Hey guys, my opinion on the Nolan verse of Batman is to keep it Robin free. Not for the reasons that you guys pointed out, uh, like the Dark World adult boy wonder, but uh, because it is Batman's first year and it should stick to the comics. I do like Mike's idea of leaving the end of the third film on a cliffhanger so a new director could bring his own interpretation of Robin in. I still go with my decision of having Steve Buscemi as the Riddler. He's played crazy smart guy roles before, Con Air, Armageddon, and uh, even has that crazy look. Bane is hard because that phys- uh, the physique is that of a wrestler, which many wrestlers would not be convincing as an intelligent character. Not saying wrestlers are dumb, but wrestlers I'm thinking of wouldn't fit that. The only wrestlers I could think of would need dubbing. Batista has a physique, uh, physique and attitude, while the great Kali is massive and intimidating. Talia or Harley Quinn could work, but they would need to be side villains like the Scarecrow. Um, how would guys like to see a more aggressive, even than Batman Returns, Catwoman? One that shows her finding out she is part of the Falcone family, like in Long Halloween, Dark Victory, 
and the last book. This can act as the love triangle with Tali if they brought her in. I know with all the podcasts you guys are doing, another podcast is most likely uh, happening, except for the one coming in June, but I always felt that the Batman and Legion of Superheroes fell in the same continuity. They had the same animation aired at the same time, so why not a podcast for those two shows? And, Mike, what happened to Batman Forever and Batman and Robin reviews? Is your head still affected by banging your head on the Tim Burton films? <laughs> we'll just leave it at that there. Um, uh, continuing the email before Mike uh, says something very harsh at me, um, Lobo has Brad Garrett voicing him like he did in the DCAU cartoons. The animation is similar, too, but I heard the same thing uh, that it may not be part of the DCAU since it doesn't have crossovers or mentions of the series before, and after it most likely isn't part of it. But it's cool you covered it, but hey, it's not the terrible trio. Um, gotta interject there, Brad Garrett definitely did not voice Lobo in the Lobo webtoons. Gotham Girls is definitely DCAU. It's better and a bit more tolerable than Lobo. That's all about it can say. I've only watched it through uh, once for this podcast. And as you said, Mike, Harley Quinn Smith was born in 2000 or 2001. She played young Silent Bob in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, which the second season aired around that time. It is possible it's a joke towards Smith, but only if WB or the writers kept track on Smith's personal life. Uh, have you guys seen the work print version of Wolverine? It's finished except for a few CGI effects, but it turned out to be a pretty good film and may bring back the X-Men franchise since X3 killed it. Hmm. I'm going to the theaters to see it, though. Well, take care and have a good couple of weeks. No, I haven't seen the Wolverine film. Um, well, let me, let me put it this way. I was somewhere recently where I got to see probably about 45 minutes of it, but I was just watching, like whatever they had on the screen, and I was too far away from the TV to actually hear it. That's why I'm saying, no, I haven't seen it. Um, and you know what? I don't intend to. You know, you know, sure, it's, it, it looks like it's DVD quality and whatnot, but I want to see the completed film. One of the clips I saw when I sort of, I guess, saw it the other day, you know, it looked like, I'm not going to say too much, but Wolverine was on a plane, and he was flying over something, and the little island that he was, I guess, going towards... They, they hadn't fully rendered it digitally, so it was just like sort of like the gray outline of it. And I'm like, I don't want to see that. I want to see the <laughs> finished product. You know, if I want to see that, I'll watch the making of features on the eventual DVD. Um, it just doesn't interest me right now. Get, you know, once, once it's out in, at the end of this week or whenever it comes out, yeah, sure. But no, no not, not, not as an unfinished product. I may go see the midnight showing on Thursday at 12.01. I don't know. At, at, at this point, I'm probably too tired to do it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, oh, uh, the, the, the in regards to the Batman and the, what do you call it, the Legion uh, cartoons, us doing a podcast with that? No, I, I don't see that happening. I wouldn't mind the Batman getting some sort of lip service on uh, Earth2.net, the show. Um, I think the Batman is an underrated cartoon. Um, I haven't seen every episode, but the ones I've seen were relatively good, and I liked the one that pretty much adapted the killing joke. I'm not going to say too much about it. I might have spoken about it a little on the podcast already, but just in case I haven't, I'm not going to say anything else. Next one is from Glade. Hi, guys. My name is Glade. Like the plug-in, so now you can't mispronounce my name. I don't recall how I found your podcast episodes, but wow, I'm surprised I'm not fired from my job for listening to it. I'm a street corner whore for Sprint or er, Sign Shaker and usually do the YMCA for attention, but when I found your podcast, I ended up listening to them for my whole shift 
and I'm still listening to them. I have a lot of catching up to do as I'm only on episode 21, but I love the fact that you guys opened my eyes to stuff I never noticed before. I'm not sure what your guidelines are for talking about past podcasts, because I've been uh, writing stuff that comes to mind when I notice things that you guys don't mention, but so far you have caught more than I have. Anyway, once I know what I can talk about, i.e. the past episodes, I'll chime in my thoughts. But thank you for the entertaining podcast, and I will catch up hopefully soon. When when people write in and they're talking about older episodes, like really old episodes, I tend to not necessarily forward those to James. Um, because it's just sort of like, you know, we're, you know, as you said, you're, you're on episode 21. You know, we're recording 52. You know, you're 30 episodes behind us. Um, so I'd rather have those comments said, like, at the earth2.net forums. Um, if you haven't heard us speak about those on, on the, on the podcast before, just go to earth2.net, earth-2.net. On the left-hand side of the page, there's a link that says forums. Click it and join the forums, please. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Shilling out of the way. Next one is from TJ, who writes, Hi, Mike and James. I'm very excited that you've reached Zeta. I'm a bit sad that we won't hear anything about Batman for a while, but at least uh, we'll have the Titans. Also, what do you guys think of the Batman Arkham Asylum game? Although it has nothing to do with any established continuity, I'm pleased to see and hear that Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill are coming back to voice Batman and, and the Joker. Um, well, it's kind of hard to have a, an opinion on a game that doesn't come out for another month and a half or so, but uh, I'll be getting it, no doubt about it. I'm, I'm definitely going to buy it the day it comes out. So, but yeah, I'm pretty pumped up for it. What systems is that going to be released for? 360, PS3, and I think the Wii is getting a uh, release, too. Yeah, I mean, all I have is the Wii. Um, I can't afford a PS3 or an Xbox 360 right now. Um, but if there are any generous listeners out there, I'll get you my new address. Um, <laughs> but um, I'm not joking either. But regardless, um, you know, I'm... If I had, for some reason, I don't want to play a game like that on the Wii. I don't know why, I just don't. But if I had a 360 or a PS3, I'd give it a rent. Hey, Mike and James, my name is Graham, and I love your podcast. I just have a few questions. I know you have moved on from Batman Beyond, but I have one last good question. Wouldn't it have been cool if Clayface had been in Batman Beyond? I don't think he can die of old age, but then it's not clear if he died in the new Batman Adventures. Also, wouldn't it be cool if they had uh, Justice League of the Future series with Static and Wonder Woman and Zeta and all the characters from The Call, including Batman? It could fix some confusions with that episode and what the future Justice League is like. And last of all, will you ever do an episode reviewing Mystery of the Batwoman? We actually already did review Mystery of the Batwoman right at the end of the Gotham Knights and Superman the Animated Series. I believe that was episode 37 or Somewhere eight. around there, yeah. Yeah, as for, you know, a Justice League Beyond, I've called for that before, real recently, Yeah. as mm -hmm. a matter of fact. I would love it if if uh, we saw that. Will they ever go back to the DCAU and do it? Probably not. But uh, if they announced it, I'd be excited for it. Um, as for Clayface, you know, he is one of those villains that they could have realistically found a way to bring back. You know, you really can't do it with the Riddler or Two-Face, or the Penguin. The Joker, I think they found a pretty neat way to do it with him. Mr. Freeze, it made a lot of sense how they did it with him. But Clayface, you're right. Can he die? Does he age the way we age? You don't know, because he's been so messed with. Um, hell, I would have liked it if he came back and he had lived for so long that he wasn't Matt Hagen anymore. Maybe Annie grew up. And we got, like, a 60-year-old woman named Annie, and she was doing these crimes. 
I mean, it would it might have been a little too similar to what they did with Return of the Joker, where there's two personalities and one body and one's taking over to do crimes. I admit that. But I would love it if, yeah, if Clayface had come back under a whole new personality, Annie or not, and we get this big, like, whoa, it's Clayface. But then we have Clayface and Ink, and they're way too similar. So you, yeah. that's probably why they decided not to do it. So that was it for the emails? That's it. Okay, something I want to say real quick. Um, as you all know, World's Finest Podcast, it airs every other Wednesday. As I'm sure you also know, or I hope you know, uh, an amazing podcast aired on the alternate Wednesdays. Well, unfortunately, that has to go on hiatus for a little while. So to fill that gap in the Earth2.net scheduling, what we are going to do is we are going to start publishing reviews of the DCAU-related comic books. And these are going to be written by Aaron Bentley. <laughs> um, and uh, so starting next Wednesday, let me get the date real quick. That will be May 6th. You are going to see her review of the very first issue of The Batman Adventures. Uh, so make sure you go to earth2.net to read those reviews every other Wednesday. So the opposite Wednesdays of World's Finest Podcast. No sign yet. Maybe he's already left Spring City. Give it 24 hours. That girl in the car was either an accomplice or a hostage. One way or another, we have to find out. Uh, sir, what if Zeta's telling the truth about not meaning any harm, that he just wants to be free? What if he really believes it? Agent Lee, Zeta is a machine that stopped following orders while among terrorists. If he suddenly thinks he's grown a conscience, it's because they reprogrammed him to think it. That's their cover for whatever they really have planned. Yes, sir. But if he's working for terrorists, why not just blast him? I'm holding your sidearm another day. Aww. We have plans for this Synthoid people. Once we've wiped his memory clean, we can put him back to work as a weapon for us. That said, Zeta does pose a threat to national security. And if it becomes necessary to neutralize that threat, I'll destroy him myself. All right, the first episode of The Zeta Project is titled The Accomplice. Uh, what happens here is uh, Zeta is first seen in this train station. I think it's in Maryland is what they say. Um, and he's attempting to contact the NSA, uh, specifically Agent Bennett, weather wizard guy, uh, <laughs> to try and tell him that he, you know, he doesn't want to hurt people anymore. Um, so they start tracing the call and everything, and the usual stuff happens. But uh, elsewhere, there's a 15-year-old girl named, I think she's 15. I, I, I yeah, not, she's 15. Okay, thank you. Uh, named Rosalie Rowan, who will, we all know as Roe if you've uh, listened to the Batman Beyond podcasts. Um, and she's she's been captured by a, like a security guard, and she's under interrogation for shoplifting. Um, but she manages to get out of the cuffs and escape with the stuff back to this hideout uh, with some gang. But and she wants to she wants to be you know formally declared part of their gang, I guess. And but uh, unfortunately for her, they say it's only part one of her initiation. And they explain to her that she. Uh, Later on, out in the street, that she's going to be the lookout for them when they while they rob a bank. Uh, well, she refuses, of course. But and one of the guys is like, "Nope," uh, and points a gun at her to just you know finish her off and everything. But Zeta happens to be nearby and he sees this and he saves her. But in the process, he gets shot. So this reveals him to the nearby NSA agents because his holographic disguise is wiped away. Um, and what happens next is, I believe they. Roe and Zeta 
hotwire a car and manage to get away, but Roe has to drive the car because Zeta is too damaged to operate it. And uh, Zeta explains who he is and just begs her to help him. Uh, she reluctantly agrees and they end up going to get something to eat. And Zeta explains why he refused to kill his target because the dude was innocent. So uh, Roe, a very street-smart young lady, says that it was quite naive for, uh, to just call Bennett out of the clear blue because the dude is obviously a shoot-first-ask-questions-later kind of guy. Um, so Zeta shows Roe that uh, he has a built-in cred card and can buy anything he needs because it's unlimited. So this naturally piques Roe's interest, and she kind of takes advantage of this by asking for 5,000 creds in exchange for some uh, information and some new clothes. Uh, she also tells... Uh, Zeta, whom she wants, uh, she calls Z now, uh, to disguise himself as just a, a younger guy, maybe late, late teens, early twenties. And, uh, that night, uh, Rose just, you know, she's sleeping and, uh, she awakens to find Zeta just sitting up, uh, admiring a cockroach of all things. And she, she slaps it away, explains that they're gross. And she's, she asks, why would your programmer not put basic information like uh, you know, like that into your uh, into your memory banks, and it's at this point that they decide that they need to find the person or persons who created him. And the only way they can do this, uh, Zeta explains, is to get to one of the NSA's hovercrafts uh, secure computers because you can't do it from any old regular laptop or whatever. Um, and Roe wants when they finally get to the hovercraft, Roe you know wants to you know wants out. She doesn't want to be associated with Zeta anymore because she never wanted to get in this far. But she does agree to help distra uh, distract one of the agents in order for him to get inside the hovercraft. Well, Bennett ends up discovering Zeta in disguise inside the hovercraft when the agent manages to get away from Roe, who was distracting him all this time. Uh, and he fires this device at him that disables him, but it only temporarily works because Zeta's you know, built-in uh, healing machine thing knocks it off and uh Roe ends up deciding you know what i'm guess i'm gonna help this guy she grabs a, the car races around the hovercraft uh knocks away all the agents uh gets zeta and they you know zoom off and uh you know they they get to, out to this uh you know kind of suburban street and uh zeta tells Roe that he only got a you know, a partial information on these on the people who cr may have created him, and it was damaged. But you know, at least they have a lead now, and they decide to work together. So, how does this the Zeta project start for you? This was a great first episode. I really enjoyed this one. Um, I'm not going to pretend and say it was perfect, but I thought it was very exciting. I thought it did a wonderful job setting up Zeta, for anybody who hadn't seen it before, setting up Ro, setting up the world in which they live, the situation, why they're both on the run, separately and then together, and most importantly, at least for me, it did a beautiful job setting up the antagonist. Because when it comes to Agent Bennett, you can kind of see his point of view. Zeta is a piece of government property that went rogue. This thing had to cost millions, if not billions of dollars to create. It's, it's, it's ultra-sensitive material. If it falls into the wrong hands and gets reprogrammed, it could be used to take out 
United States government officials or allied officials. So I really dig the fact that if you actually take a second to look at it, Bennett isn't a bad guy. He's the antagonist. That's true, but he's not evil. He's mm-hmm. doing what he's doing for very good reasons. And when all that comes together, it made a damn good episode. What about you? Like, Yeah, I agree with you on that because I, I can't remember. I think it's Agent Lee is her mm-hmm. name. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she actually wonders, you know, what if Zeta's being truthful and he says he doesn't want to kill? Well, you know, Bennett, you know, he just he scoffs at the notion saying that, you know, even if even if that was true, you know, he gro- he's grown a conscience by some means. You know, he says it's only because a terrorist organization that he was sent to infiltrate, you know, captured him and that's why this happened and it's just a cover for some ulterior motive. So, I yeah, I completely agree. I think uh, yeah, you know, Bennett's one of those bad guys that you can you can understand where they're coming from, and you know how much I love those. Right, those are the best bad guys, the ones, and again, I'm, I'm reluctant to say bad guy, but you all know what I mean. You know, the ones that, on some level, are actually right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's fun looking at the bad guys who are just anarchists. Like, you know, sometimes the Joker has a point, but most of the time he's just running around causing chaos and anarchy, and that's fun. But, like, when I look at, like, a Dr. Doom story, I don't want Doom just being, whoa, ha, ha, I'm evil. I want Doom doing something because he truly believes he's right in what he's doing. A better example than Doom is Magneto. Oh, Magneto, yeah, he's the number he, one. Exactly. I mean, when you look thing. at Magneto's past and the fact that he grew up in a concentration camp as a young Jew, you understand why when he figured out he was a mutant, he is like, uh-uh, I ain't letting humans oppress me again. I will never be oppressed, and I'm not going to let this happen to my people. Magneto has a very, very good point, and that's how you can sympathize with him when he's written well. And I think Bennett, at the very least in this first episode, is written well. Not as strong as Magneto, but I think you understand the parallels I'm drawing. One thing I did not like, though, is you know these... These agents are seriously way too trigger happy. Mm-hmm. This happened. In, it happened in Batman Beyond, and it happened here too. But I mean, I'm going to kind of counteract my uh, gripe there by saying that uh, Bennett took away what's his face, Agent West's gun, because of that. So you know, there you go. It was kind of leveled out. Yeah, you're right. They very much are, you know, shoot first, ask questions, maybe type characters. But when one of them does show clear signs of incompetence, okay, they don't fire him. But yeah, they, I'm going to have a problem with that in a later episode, too. <laughs> but they do um, put him in his place, sort of make him sit in the corner and tell him, hey, you ain't getting a gun for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I can definitely see why that wouldn't uh, totally sit right with you or anybody. Did we mention the last time Zeta was on Batman Beyond that Bennett is voiced by Kurtwood Smith? I don't think so. I don't remember mentioning that. And the second I heard him here, I was like, oh, my God, that's Clarence Bodiger. That's Red Foreman. Oh, my God. And I looked it <laughs> up, and he didn't do Bennett's first appearance in Batman Beyond, but he did do the second appearance. And the second appearance would have been when Zeta was already on the air, right? Because weren't Batman and Zeta running at the same time? Yeah, they're kind of sort of running concurrently there. Yeah, so it made sense why they used Kurtwood over there. But uh, I was like, whoa, that's really cool. Because I love him. I love him. I think he's a great yeah. oh, actor. He, he's, he's hilarious. Mm-hmm. He uh, is. In that 70s show and in Quick Change, one of my favorite Bill Murray movies. <laughs> Which was that? Uh, 
A quick change. I know it's a shame that people don't know more about it. It's it's so funny. It's uh, Bill Murray and uh, Gina Davis and uh, Randy Quaid are these these uh, bank robbers. Uh, one dresses up as a clown, Bill Murray, and they rob the bank and they desperately try to get out of New York City. And basically, the whole movie is just taking the piss out of New York City. Okay, it's it's hilarious. I I beg you, Mike, watch that at some point. Okay, I'll write that down right now. Quick change. And what's uh, Kurtwood doing that? Uh, he's uh, a big time uh, mobster guy. Uh-huh. So yeah, it, it's right up his alley, I think. Okay. Uh, uh, so anyway, yeah, back to Zeta. Um, what are you thinking of Rose so far? I know this is a loaded question because we asked this same thing of each other when we first met a certain character from Batman Beyond, and we were all like, "Hey, she's not so bad. What's the problem?" You know, and then we wound up hating on that certain character who will go unmentioned. Um, but Ro, right now, just in this first episode, not even the next four we're going to talk about over the next hour or so, what are you thinking of her? I, I love Ro. I mean, I I told you this when, uh, what was it, the last episode of Batman Beyond. I, I loved her character design. I liked her character. Um, and I love the dynamic between Ro and Zeta already. When when they're at the restaurant, and I th- I think he uh, does it's does Zeta mimic her voice? Yes. At the restaurant, and she, she just goes, "Please don't do that again." <laughs> yeah, and then real quickly, he's like, "Okay, or sorry." It's 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 a real quick yeah. exchange, and it comes off very uh, real to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was fantastic, and I'm, I have a feeling that I'm not going to go down the same road as uh, se- uh, the Afor unmentioned character. Mm-hmm. I really don't think that's going to happen with her because I, I do I love the dynamic between uh, uh, Zeta and her and I, I think it's you know it continues in the next few episodes too so and I, we don't there was no kind of dynamic between Terry and uh, the unnamed one uh, that really ever was ever good you know right yeah here I think they learn from their mistakes with that other character you know they. They saw what went wrong. I'm sure they heard complaints, you know, and uh, they were like, look, we can't do that again. Because this is, unlike that other one, uh, Roe is going to be in every episode. Mm-hmm. Where the unnamed one was in maybe every other episode, every third episode. There was a while she was in a, a nice string of episodes. Um, but they kind of phased her out for for a little bit there. But with Ro, they needed her to not be annoying. She needed to be endearing. And that's a tough thing to do because they need to make her a young, hip character. Again, 15 years old. But they have to write her young and hip 80 years in the future. And the people who are doing it are 30- and 40-year-old guys who probably don't even know what young and hip is now. (laughs) You know, or now being when they were making it, 2000, 2001 or whatever. So that couldn't be an easy thing to do. And so far in this first episode, I, I think they're they're doing a pretty swell job with her. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. really liking her. I kind of see her as a... She's not as tech-savvy, but I'm kind of getting a Penny vibe from Inspector Gadget off of her mm-hmm. if Penny grew up mm-hmm. in yeah. the Batman Beyond future, if she was sucked into the future. And that's why she's really an orphan. Um, <laughs> then I, I could see her becoming Roe in some way. Mm-hmm. And I, I got to say, Julie Nathanson really did a, a good job uh, voice voicing her. I, I'm, I'm digging it a lot. Now, I swear I recognized her voice. A couple points, I thought it was Sarah Michelle Geller that was doing it. Who is she that you know I would recognize her from? 
Um, actually, I don't know. I okay. didn't. I I never had the time to just look up her uh, resume. Okay. Yeah, but, but no, uh, she definitely did a good job bringing life to that character. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and, and everybody did really. I don't mm-hmm. think there was any bad voice acting here. I mean, Michael Rosenbaum does Agent West's voice. Yeah, that is true. And yeah. it, you know, Rosenbaum's got what at least ten different voices in the DCAU, and never once have I felt like it's him using the same voice. Mm-hmm. You know, there's. I feel like there's minor uh, subtleties that separate this voice from his Joker's voice, that separate, you know, his Flash voice from whatever other voice he's done, you know, uh, from his Kid Flash voice. You know, it, it just f- feels different to me. Yes, I know it's the same actor, but, you know, he, he comes off as the bumbling agent here, and he does it well. Uh, one thing I do have to ask, what was up with that uh, thing at the end of the episode with the light bulb and, I mean... I know they did it with a couple other episodes. Is, yeah, is that... they did it with all of them. They did the light bulb. They did a safety pen, a safety pin, a pen. Didn't they and do an one oil more? Can? An, an oil, oil can. can, but then yeah, but they didn't do it with the fifth episode, did they? Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering if you know they did it for those four episodes, and they may have gotten some kind of feedback. It's like you know this is stupid. Let's just stop. Yeah, I, I didn't wholly understand what the point of that was. If they would have gone with technology that was like from the early 20th century or late 19th century, that would make more sense. But why are you teaching us about light bulbs when we still use light bulbs? Like the oil can thing sort of makes sense because who really uses oil cans nowadays? Exactly. You know, but a light bulb, a safety pin, a pen, they were just going for bad jokes and puns with those, and that was not pretty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really hope that stops. Yeah. Um, I think the last thing I want to say about this one is, were you getting any sort of uncomfortable vibe when Roe was with that gang? Yes. Yeah. And I'm not saying this to make one of my normal, dirty, ha-ha jokes. I mean, she was stealing food and was going to be used as lookout for, like, an all-male gang of thugs. And I was like, oh, my God, she's being initiated. What else has she had or will she have to do uncomfortable thoughts? I really didn't like that at all. Yeah, I know. I mean, because those dudes were at least twenty-one, uh-huh. probably probably closer to their mid-twenties. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I agree. I've had the same thoughts you did. Okay, I wanted to make sure I wasn't the only one that I wasn't just being dirty because I didn't want to be like, oh, hey, 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 she's gonna get huh? no, because that's eh, eh, no. Yeah, no, it bad. really felt like, oof, ooh, I don't like this. I don't like this. Run away, Ro. Leave him. I think the only other thing I want to say about this uh, was it near the very beginning of the episode, I think. Was that train uh, employee supposed to be like a young female choker? Because her skin was almost white, and the dis- there was a purple jacket and pants, and <laughs> the hair was looked like kind of like the Joker's. It was just, I don't know if you noticed it, no. because it's just it was weird. <laughs> It was too too much like the Joker character design. I did not pick up on that. Um, I may have to go back and look at that to see. But you're talking about the the one that Zeta impersonated, right? To get on the train? (laughs) Yeah, the female. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to have to look at that. Here, I found a match. Nelson Arroyo, Ph.D. in robotics. According to this data, he now works for Dyron Aerospace, a company in Ohio. 
Next up is his maker's name. In this one, this picks up pretty much right where the previous episode ended with Ro and Zeta heading out to look for some of these guys who had a hand in making Z. And, you know, they, they get in the facility and they're, they're looking around his uh, laboratory and uh, while they're in there, this, this security drone comes in and they start fighting it. The security, of course, human security is alerted. They come to, uh, they, they rush in to see what's going on. And Zeta, he's taking care of this other robot. He's decapitated it um, with these, like, saw blades, which I found a little odd considering he supposedly has no weapons anymore, but he's still got saw blades and stuff. But anyway, maybe he could move them like the guns. Maybe, maybe that that is a good point. But uh, before the human security guards get in there, um, he's transformed himself to look like another guard who was supposed to be outside on the gate, and he's pretending to escort Ro out of there, like she was the intruder. And uh, while he's uh, going out there, this is the episode where they meet the space hippies, right? Mm-hmm. There's all these hippies outside protesting. They're all like, hey, man, space should be for us, like for everybody. Make it like affordable, man, so like we can all see the stars. And I'm like not even exaggerating people. So No, he's really not. Yeah. So Zeta and Ro, they, um, they escape with the hippies as the NSA and Bennett show up to see what's going on, uh, because uh, one of the security guards, uh, if I remember correctly, they, they figured out that Zeta was wanted by the NSA, right? Mm-hmm. Then they, they got his picture, and they, whatever, they called the NSA, and they showed up. So uh, they're able to get on the little hippie bus, which, hippie bus, which, of course, is, you know, a hovering Volkswagen van, yeah. which is almost rivals the coolness of the, uh, f- the hovering El Camino. Okay. You know? <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, I think the El Camino was leaps and bounds ahead of the, the floating PW bus, but that's just me. That's just me. Um, but yeah, they get on there, so they go to the little hippie compound, and they're doing all their meditating and stuff. And uh, Zeta, he, he has to get back into this facility because he wants to find this guy that was working on him. And uh, he can't get in there, so Rose hanging around there, and uh, I, I know I'm kind of losing a couple of beats here, but Zeta tells her, look, don't go inside because you're going to get caught. They know what you look like, and I can't have you get in, in trouble. So she sees the scientist leaving, and she's like, well, technically, I didn't go inside to get him. So she jumps in his car, and she persuades him to see Zeta. And uh, so, you know, she, you know, Zeta gets a call from the guy, and is like, look, I'll see you, but whatever, you got to meet me at this place. So Yeah, I mean, it's, it's on his terms. You won't do it any other way. Right, exactly. Because, you know, the NSA has told this guy, ooh, maybe Zeta's come to get you. Oh, so that's why this guy's really freaked out. So Zeta shows up to meet him, and while he's doing that, Ro is hanging out with some of the hippies, and she realizes, wait a minute, that happened too easily. That guy was scared shitless. And then all of a sudden he turned around and said, he meet Zeta? What's going on? And she figures it's a trap. And it is. When Zeta goes to talk to the scientist, this uh, electrical force field surrounds Zeta, and supposedly humans can pass through it without harm, but uh, anything that's electronic, such as Zeta, wouldn't be able to. And we see that happening as the force field closes in. Pieces of uh, electronic debris start exploding. So that would be Zeta's fate. Ro is able to gather the hippie troops, and uh, they zoom in in their hippie bus or whatever, 
and uh, they're able to get Zeta out of there and help him get away. Uh, the scientist ends up helping too because Zeta ends up saving his life. And he realizes, wait a minute, you're not here to kill me. And Zeta's like, hell no, I want to know where I came from, man. And uh, so the scientist says, look, I was a low man on the totem pole. Um, I, I really didn't have much to do with your design. You're going to want to go see such and such scientists. And that sort of ends the episode and sets Zeta on his new quest. So what were you thinking about this one? Definitely not anywhere close to as good an episode as the previous one. Okay, how come? Uh, I think my big problem with this episode is in the first episode, Bennett specifically says they want to apprehend Zeta and not harm him. But in this episode, that EM force field, the electromagnetic force field, was going to destroy him. Right, yeah, it was. So, so really, what the hell happened between these two episodes? Because I get the feeling it's only supposed to be like a couple of days. Yeah. It's, it's not like it's like been three months and he's had a change of heart. It's been like, I, I really think, two or three days. I don't know. It's just, this episode just wasn't doing it for me. I don't... The the whole Spacey's thing was just, it was really not overly necessary at all. They really had um, almost nothing to do with the plot at hand. Well, they, they, were just... a, they were a plot device. They needed them to fill a little time and for Roe to have someone to bounce ideas off of to make her realize, oh my god, this is a trap. The whole time they were they were talking, I was thinking to myself, you know, if you all would get jobs instead of standing at a gate playing sitar music and, and smoking... Uh, 21st century uh, pot, then maybe you'd be able to go into space like you so desperately want to. <laughs> Feedback can be sent to James at... <laughs> yeah, bring it. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, that 21st century weed, it might be really good, you never know. Don't knock it. <laughs> <laughs> how about you? <laughs> what? <laughs> How about, how about you? What were your thoughts? Um, I didn't mind this one so much. Um, you know, I, I, I am right there with you. The hippies, they weren't really needed. But I thought they added a good amount of humor, um, especially when Ro totally took the piss out of them later because they're all sitting there chanting, don't hog the stars, don't hog the stars. And, she like, and she's like, we're too bizarre. Our brains are on Mars. I thought that was really good. <laughs> That actually was very good. And I felt it was the writers saying, okay, we know these characters are ridiculous. Just deal with it and let's move on. Um, so I appreciated that. They, they weren't taking those characters seriously in the slightest. Um, another thing I liked, and this was something that was very subtle, is, you know, they're at the Cyber Cafe. What's the place called? Because they keep popping up. Groundwire? Uh, Groundwire, yeah. You know, it, it's a Cyber Cafe. And... Uh, she asks Zeta to get her a cola, a cherry, or whatever the other flavor was. Root beer. <laughs> Root beer. And he misheard her and thought she said Anne. So he mixes all these drinks together. And, you know, like little kids do at the buffet, you know? And, um, well, or some adults too, I will admit. But <laughs> <laughs> it's like going to the world of Coke and do it and. Uh, taking a cup and putting a little bit of everything into one cup and proceeding to kill yourself. Yeah, yeah. You know, but uh, he gets her this drink and she tries it and she's like, bleh, what is this? And he's like, well, you said. And she's like, no, I meant or. And then he's like, yeah, but yesterday when we were at lunch, you got a BLT and they brought you all of those and you didn't complain. So I liked that, that they added just this little thing and they're showing that Zeta is trying to learn, but he still doesn't get... Uh, 
just mm -hmm. humanity. He just doesn't understand them. But what I'm actually getting at is as he's saying this, Ro keeps on drinking that horrible drink. And she makes this like little frown at it while she's drinking it, but she doesn't stop. It's so subtle. It's a blink and you miss it kind of moment. But yeah, it's one of those things that they added in to give the character a little depth. And then it comes back later on when she says, you know, they're heading out and she's like, I think I'm going to get more of that. Like it, it's grown on her. So that little yeah. subtle thing that was there actually does come back into play. Very cool, I thought. I got to tell you, I really don't have many more notes for this. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. It's pretty a pretty shallow episode, truthfully, because I think they spent too much time on the spaces. What about the animation? Because I know you want to say something about uh, the animation, at least. Well, in the, I meant to say this in the first episode mm -hmm. we covered. Uh, the first episode's animation was not good. I really don't think it was. It was... I don't even know what I can say about it. It was just something, some kind of weirdness that I've never seen before. I couldn't even begin to describe it. This episode, however, I think it was it was pretty good, and I think the rest of the episodes were pretty good. I don't know. It was just something with that first episode. I, you know, one of those unexplainable things where I, it's, something just wasn't right about it. I'll tell you what I'll do. I when uh, for our next episode of WFP for episode fifty three, I'm going to go back and watch the episode. Maybe I'll be able to explain it better. Okay. If you can, I'd like that, because I completely disagree with you. I liked the animation of the first episode, and I thought from that point on, it kind of took a step backwards. Hmm. It's, I mean, yeah, when I saw this one, I was like, this animation isn't as good as it was in the last episode. Um, maybe I'll do the same. Maybe I'll go back and rewatch the first one and this one. Because um, it's not like, you know, you know it, it's not like this one was horrible. I could definitely sit through this again. In fact, I actually, I actually kind of like this one, if you want the truth. Well, I mean, I don't think it was a bad episode. I just think it was kind of there. Now, I have to ask something. And I don't know why they would throw in this homage, if it is an homage. But when Ro was leaving the hippie compound, do you remember what she grabbed? Uh, the pimp jacket and the uh, hat. A red trench coat and a red wide-brimmed hat. The hat wasn't red, was it? Yeah, it was. Oh, I thought it was brown. Wow. I'm pretty sure it was red, but was she supposed to look like Carmen Sandiego? <laughs> the second I saw that coat and hat, I, I instantly thought of Carmen Sandiego. I, I don't know, because I know Carmen Sandiego has long brunette hair. So. Right, no, 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 I don't mean the character design, but just what she was wearing. Just the yeah. coat and the hat, I'm like, that's Carmen Sandiego. And I'm like, mm. I don't know why they would be making a reference to Carmen Sandiego, but... I saw a reference to Carmen Sandiego. <laughs> All I know for sure about that hat was it had a little smiley button on it and a feather. So Yeah, it had the I was, feather. I don't remember the button, though, but yeah. Yeah, there was definitely a little smiley face on it for some reason. So, But I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was. Are you trying to get thrown out? No, I was trying to show you that the inductance controller works. This baby's the ultimate remote. You just load in any schematics and it runs the device. Uh, could we just... I know how it works, Bucky, but you're still banned from the Innovation Awards because of behavior like this. That's not the reason. You're up to something. I know you're an imbecile, but even you must get how cool this thing is. What did you say? He said... I know you're an imbecile, but even you must get how cool this thing is. How did you... Heh <laughs> heh. What did I say about doing that? 
<laughs> ah, great impression, huh? Hey, it's obvious you two have a lot to hash out. So as long as that computer's working, you think you could look up a name for us? And the third episode today is Remote Control. In this one, Ro and Zeta go to, I believe it was called the Sorbin Institute, uh, looking for someone named Dr. Tanner who can help them find uh, the doctor who is has been determined to create it was, you know, the main guy who created Zeta, Dr. Selig, I think is his name. Um, well, when they get there, they, they, they find that the electrical systems are just going haywire, and uh, the cause of this is some, like, boy genius. I don't even what is he, like, 12 years old or something? If that, yeah. Uh, his name's Bucky, and he has this, like, all-powerful remote control that can perish the thought, take control of any electrical object if it has the schematics loaded into it. Um well, Roe and Zeta leave when Dr. Tanner and Bucky have this ridiculously loud, long argument, um, and they check into a hotel. Um, well, what happens after this, uh, Zeta shuts down to a charge, but uh, Bucky remembered that when they were, uh, when Roe and Zeta were in there earlier, he mimicked uh, his voice perfectly, and, there was, and he figures, you know, there's no way no way that any human could mimic uh, his voice that perfectly. Um, so he figures, you know, Zeta can't be human, and so he ends up uh, finding the schematics for Zeta by hacking into the NSA files. Um, he then proceeds to take control of Zeta uh, in order to get revenge on Dr. Tanner, who has apparently been stealing all kinds of uh, people's inventions, ideas, and... Uh, specifically, it comes to, uh, to light that he stole the idea for Bucky's remote control invention uh, to win some huge award or uh, something. But really, the rest of the episode is just you know Roe running after Zeta, trying to stop him uh, from you know hurting Doctor Tanner and to stop Bucky. Okay, I know we'll have more to say about Bucky later on. What I will say him about, but what I will say about him right now is I sort of liked him initially. Especially when he was at the science fair and he had Zeta busting up the other people's projects. Now, the reason I like this is because until he became a homicidal maniac, I felt that that was something a kid with a giant remote control and a robot would do. It felt juvenile and kind of bratty and very selfish. Once he crossed that line and wanted Zeta to kill uh, his supervisor or whatever, then I started getting annoyed with the character and his motivation. But up to that point, I sort of, I sort of, I don't want to say liked it, but didn't mind it. And it's kind of weird because at the very end, he, you know, he claims, oh, look, I wasn't ever going to actually hurt him. I just wanted him to admit he, he was a thief. I don't take that for what you will. I don't, I don't know if you can really trust him or not. Really, the, the only note I have is just the same note over and over and over again here. And it's, for fuck's sake, Ro, why didn't you just backhand the little punk and smash his control? Had the chance, like, five times. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she did. She right next to him several times, and why didn't she just grab the controller out of his hands? She does it later on in the next gen. And I have, and I gotta tell you, I have no more notes. <laughs> well, I've got, a, I've got a couple of notes. Um, and by a couple, I mean uh, one. But uh, getting to your complaint about Roe not smacking him around, it, it's very clearly just filler. It's just, they, you know, this this was an episode that should have taken 10 minutes, and they needed to fill oh, about 18. And, yeah, they really padded this one out. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the other note I have on this one 
This is Mike being the dirty Mike. Roe goes into Bucky's uh, quarters. She sees uh, his giant computer screen. And she's going to use his computer to figure out what he's been up to. Right. What is sitting on top of his monitor but a dirty tube sock? That's all I'm saying. We're already just loading up Ian's gun right now. <laughs> first, with the first Zeta episode, we're, we're just putting the bullets in, into the, the, you know. The I didn't even think about Ian's segment when I when I made that note. Oh, my God. Um, oh, that's but, awesome. Uh, I, I know. <laughs> so, uh, something else I do want to say about this one, though, is they're already contradicting, um, I guess, their own continuity in a way. In the first episode, didn't Zeta say... To get files on him, he had to be in the NSA's little bus thing. Mm-hmm. And now Bucky... Okay, now Bucky is supposed to be super smart. I get that. But if it's an unhackable system, if you have to actually be in the vehicle to get into it... So how did Bucky get in there? It's weird. I know I, I had the same thought, but there was something else that happened. I don't know if it was in the, one of the next two episodes, but I seem to remember there was something that I thought, well, maybe that explains it, and I have completely forgotten what that was. Now, what did you think about Bucky's voice? What accent was that? <laughs> I think it was supposed to be, like, Latin, like Hispanic. Yeah, I, I kind of got that, but at m- most of the time, I thought it was supposed to be French. <laughs> I'm not joking. I thought it was supposed to be French. Or, you know, I mean, like, not not like Louisiana Cajun French, but like, uh, you know, Gay Paris France. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I, seriously, that's what I thought it was supposed to be, but then, like you said, it does sound Latin at times, too. I, yeah, I don't I don't understand what was going on there. And it gets worse in the next gen, two episodes oh, down the line. yes, it does. <laughs> it's Ooh, terrible it in that one. Oh, my God. Do you know who voiced him? Because I... It's somebody I, I've never heard of. Okay, I, I, again, I thought I recognized that voice a little. I don't know, but, uh, ooh, bad, bad, bad. And I also have to ask, what is up with that kid's hair? Like, I'm not talking about the the style of his hair. I'm talking about the fact that it's shiny and plasticky looking. Yeah, and it kind of seems like it has a waterfall color effect to it. Yeah. What is he doing? Oh, he's not using the tube sock. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) So you're sure this is the real deal? I scanned it on the net. Oh, then it must be true. Dr. Selig is scheduled to make a rare appearance at the Grandview Science Museum, lecturing on advanced neural simulators and their practical applications. Stop, I can't take the excitement. Next up is Change of Heart. In this one, Zeta and Ro, they are still looking for the scientists they were looking for in the last episode, if I remember correctly. And uh, their quest leads them to a museum. Uh, in this museum, you know... It's it's a futuristic museum, so there's displays about uh, robotics, and uh, there's like a ride, like an amusement park ride, through like a giant multi-story body, so you get to see what it's like being, you know, like a blood vessel or something going through the veins or whatever. And there's also this like giant magnet that I'm not entirely sure why it's there, except that it's convenient for the plot. And then there's also like what, what what chamber was that? It was like an acceleration chamber, or what, what? you talking about the uh, the big electrical thing? Oh, the fusion reactor. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's this giant fusion reactor, and we'll we'll get to all of those as we talk this through. Well, Rowan Zeta, they're they're going through the museum, 
and uh, again looking for the creator and it turns out that he's actually uh, conducting a panel so they have to kind of stall and uh, they meet up with uh, a young mother and her uh, very young daughter and uh, this is when they're on that ride that I mentioned earlier and uh, they part ways and uh, as they're going to go to the convention hall because the seminar is ending uh, they see that the little girl has found her way into the fusion reactor somehow and uh, Zeta has to make a decision does he go and save the little girl and miss his chance to meet his creator or does he uh, go find his creator and let the little girl die? Well, the answer is obvious. He has to reveal himself um, to the public. The agents are on the way, because what happened earlier was Zeta was walking past that giant magnet I mentioned, and uh, even though he was in his holographic form, he got attached to it. And while he was up there, security noticed him. They got an image of him, again, fed it into the system. They found the warrant. They called the NSA. So like I said, they're coming. And this time they're packing major heat. Uh, these giant metal arm cannons with these, like, backpacks. Can you see where this is going, you know, with the magnet and such? Um, anyways, so, yeah, like I said, Zeta reveals himself, and he rips the door off the reactor. He pulls the little girl out, and uh, he seals the reactor back up. And uh, the agents are going to bust him, even though he just clearly saved this little girl's life. they still got to get their hands on him. And uh, as they're about to destroy Zeta... Uh, Roe and one of the security guards, they operate the magnet, and they, they take away Agents Lee and West. Uh, I don't remember where uh, uh, the weather wizard was and why he couldn't stop them. But uh, there, a chase ensues between them, but uh, Zeta and Roe are able to get away by running into the uh, the exhibit that has the robots. They, they hide in there. In fact, Zeta transforms into another robot, um, which I thought was kind of neat. A robot using his holographic generator making himself look like another robot. Uh, the weather, weather wizard gives up, walks away, and uh, that's kind of the end of the episode. Uh, but there was a subplot going through this one where uh, we get a little more about Roe about how she, you know, we, we've already known that she's an orphan, uh, but, we, you know, we never really knew why. Was she a runaway, or what was she? Well, she, we find out that she actually was abandoned, um, and we get her feelings about finding uh, her parents, because Zeta thinks it's going to be super important to find his parents, for lack of a better word, and Rose like, what's it matter? So every step of the way, we're getting Roe confronting uh, her attitudes about uh, her family. And by the end of the episode, she's sort of starting to rethink uh, family and maybe looking for her own. I'm not quite sure. I don't remember. But that's sort of the vibe I got off of it. Uh, so that does this one. What were your thoughts? Um, I kind of like this episode. I, it's It does have plenty of flaws, like you said, with all the, the time wasting and everything. Um, and the end there... That was like the ultimate running out of time for the episode moment ever, where Bennett just gives up chasing Zeta after he runs into a room. Yeah. It's like, oh, damn. <laughs> <sighs> well, another day. <laughs> so, yeah, I was yeah. very pissed off by that end. I could see what they were going to do, but I was like, really? Really? Get your green fucking binoculars and search that room, dude. <laughs> yeah. Now, if they had had a like a little moment where the binoculars somehow got broken or something, I could maybe excuse it. I'm, I'm maybe you know, but yeah, yeah. It, but no, they didn't. So no, um, but I you know, 
I think overall I kind of like this episode because of they're start you know they're starting to to develop Roe more and I I did like the ending a lot you know after that goofy oh I'm giving up moment where uh, Roe kind of subtly admitted that she envies Zeta wanting to search for someone I can't remember what the, her line was but uh, you know Zeta you know very obviously wants to find uh, Doctor Selig but she doesn't. She, you know, obviously at this point, she doesn't really want to find her family because, I mean, they obviously didn't want her. Is you know, that's her mentality. So why should she care? Mm-hmm. But like you said, she's starting to, you know, it's the layers are starting to peel away, and maybe she's starting to care. Yeah, there was a great line, and I wish I could remember it exactly, but she said, "Someone made me, and they didn't want me," and I was mm-hmm. just like. Damn, that's that's a pretty mature line for a cartoon like this. Because Zeta, you know, it isn't trying to be super mature. It isn't trying to be some episodes of Gotham Knights or Batman or Batman Beyond, you know? It's very clearly aimed at a younger audience with some little things in there for the adults. But that's not a line you would expect to be in there, not even for the adults. Um, and I give them a lot of credit for doing that. It's almost like they made this episode for anybody who was an orphan. Like, we know how you feel. But at the same time, I thought the Rose stuff got to be a little too much by the end. I liked it at the front, and then, you know, they kept on doing it. I'm like, okay, it's not, it's not so bad. And then just kept on doing it, kept on doing it. I was like, I get it. Stop, please. Because at that point, they were sort of ruining the message that they were going for. You know, one gripe I have is, and this is something I mentioned earlier, is how does this this guy, Agent West, retain his job? I mean, he's done absolutely nothing worthwhile, and anyone else would have been fired for gross incompetence by now, I would think. I don't know. I don't know why this agency that's so top secret and whatnot would keep him around. But Why? What did he do specifically in this one? Is this the one where he crashed the ship? This one I don't I don't remember off the top of my head, but it's just like it seems like every episode Bennett's yelling at him about something, and I think and there was I don't know if it was this episode or the previous one where he just says no it was it wasn't in the previous episode because Bennett wasn't in the last episode mm-hmm. but um but he Wes says something like something smart alecky or whatever and uh, Bennett says you know what you're not getting your gun for another day so it's like. Like, why do you keep this guy around? That was actually that what was the he... first one. Was they, it the first? Yeah, because he took his gun away in that one, and he took it away for a day, and then yeah, West did something stupid, and he's like, okay, that's another day. Oh shit! I could have sworn it was a, a like it was just a another episode calling back to no, that one. No, it was that first one. Okay, sorry. No, no worries. I mean, but you're right. You know, if your agent is so bad that you have to take his gun away, he, you don't keep him on your staff. Especially when you're hunting down what you perceive to be this highly trained killer robot. You know, you don't keep a buffoon around like that. So, yes, they're doing it for comedic value, but, you know, and yes, we are maybe overanalyzing it for what is supposed to be a kid's cartoon, but come on, it's still annoying. Even kids are going to look at that and be like, really? At least I think they'd be (laughs) that way. I don't know. I would have been. There was a, a big 
WTF moment I had, uh, and this was, I, I guess this is kind of an animation note, but did you notice there was one point when Rowan and Zader are running, they run backwards out of a room and into a hall like they're cars backing out of a driveway, and then they run forward. I think I remember seeing some weird little animation glitch along those lines. What I want to know is why was there an easily accessible door leading into the inside of a fusion reactor? Yeah, please explain that one to me. Okay, the fact that they have a working fusion reactor in the museum, I can overlook that because this is supposed to be, you know, the mid to late 21st century. Fine, whatever. Okay, they may have something like that in the museum. But a door... Right there, it's not like she used the service entrance, that being the little girl, to get in there. This is a door that was right off the walkway, anybody could use to get in, and then it closes and locks? Like, what? What? Why? Why would you have that? That made no sense. Had she found a service entrance, that I would have no gripes about. I'd be like, okay, some dimwit left the door open. But this? No. No. And then... Did you notice that at one point Zeta had like ten seconds to like mend the the, the wall and like uh-huh. you know weld it all back together? And it's clearly taking like a minute. He looks up when he's done, and there's like two seconds left, and he's done. It's like that was not eight seconds. Furthermore, yeah, furthermore, he welded the cracks that he made, but he didn't weld the finger holes that he put in there because he didn't just rip the wall. He just didn't like. <clears throat> you know, just like rip the door open. He stuck his fingers on the wall and pried it apart. All he did was mend the crack, not the finger holes. <laughs> so that radiation <laughs> still got out. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's why the show only lasted two seasons. It turns out Roe died of cancer. Aw, that's <laughs> horrible. <laughs> I like Roe. I don't want her to die of cancer. What the heck was that? I just intercepted orders for another infiltration unit. There are others? Of course. Infiltration Unit 7 is being sent to locate and eliminate this man. I can't allow it, Ro. And lastly up today is the next gen. In this one, Bucky is back for some reason. Yay. Um, yeah, um, I'll get into that in a minute, believe me. But um, anyway, the new, I guess his new superior... Uh, like forbids him from performing any more experience because of repeated explosions. Uh, so he's essentially grounded. Um, and so he ends up using his backup computer because the lady takes away his uh, computer uh, as punishment. Uh, but he has a backup computer, of course, and he uses it to again hack into the NSA because really he's just bored. And he takes control of another deadlier robot and he decides to send it after some weapons dealer. No, 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 no. The government it? sends it after the weapons dealer. He wants to get his hands on the robot. Oh, is that what? Okay. That's what happens, yeah. Okay, I must have missed that. No there. worries. Um, uh, well, anyway, elsewhere, Zeta actually intercepts the order for the robot to kill the weapons dealer, and he feels that he has to stop this from happening, much to mine and Rose chagrin. Um, so they end up, they end up going to the airport to fly off to wherever this guy is, and, uh, Bucky is there to stop them with one of those handy-dandy remote controls, uh, and he starts to screw up the airport's computer so they can't get a ticket for the plane. Um, but he says if he, if, uh, they let him come with them, he'll let them get their plane tickets. Um, 
so they all end up traveling together, and uh, upon arriving, uh, they get into a fight with some henchmen of the weapons dealer, because Zeta just goes right, right up to this guy and says, have you heard of, uh, what was this dude's name again? I completely forgot. I don't even remember. Oh, yeah, R- Roland, that was his name. But um, And the guy's like, what? what? <laughs> and it eventually ends up getting them into this huge fight with all these henchmen of the weapons dealer, and uh, Zeta, of course, easily dispatches them, and uh, they end up going to the guy's compound where uh, Zeta uses his disguises to get inside. He disguises himself as the guy's daughter, I think. The sultry um, daughter who kisses the security guards to get out at night. Uh, he ends up getting into the guy's uh, office and tries to warn the guy about the robot that's about to come in there and myrtleize him. <laughs> uh, and But of course he doesn't listen and he tries to kill Zeta. Uh because he's in a human disguise at this point. But uh, obviously that doesn't happen because Zeta just reveals what he is and re- says, look, you better listen to me, okay? <laughs> um, so in, you know, the very large robot, uh, I think it's the IU-7, it arrives, starts gassing everything in sight, uh, and it, Zeta and the big robot have this massive brawl all over the place. Zeta prevails and uh, by knocking it under some huge pile of rubble. Uh, out on the dock, I think. And, um, you know, Bucky, who tried to take control of the robot at at one point and ended up getting it reactivated uh, before Zeta finally put it down, said, uh, you know, if you guys ever ever need my help, just call me. Um, And Ro makes a nice little snide comment, like, I hope we're never that desperate. (laughs) Um, And then there's a little short kind of 10-second teaser at the very end showing that the robot survived the battle and its new target is Zeta. And that's it. So, thoughts? Okay. (laughs) Because I know where you're going to start. Where am I going to start? Are you going to... Please tell me you're going to start with Bucky. Um... Or do you want me to handle that? I don't know if I wasn't going to say anything that wasn't about Bucky, so yeah, I pretty much was going to start there. Um, but yeah, you go ahead and start. What do you want to say about Bucky? I'll let you go. Really? This kid kept his position at that laboratory. He hacked, he hacked into NSA's files, sent a robot after a guy with lasers and spinning saw blades, and he didn't go to juvie? Fuck you. No. <laughs> that dude, that, that little punk-ass brat is in juvenile hall. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no excuse for him to still be at that laboratory. Uh, blowing shit up. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. <laughs> uh, I swear that there's just that's ridiculous. Mm. It's absolutely ridiculous. So you know, go ahead. <laughs> no, I mean the the first note I wrote was "Ugh, Bucky." Like mm-hmm. again, like okay, if they're gonna bring the character back, fine, I get it. But two episodes later, they're gonna bring this little schmuck back. Why? He wasn't needed for this episode at all. If you're going to bring back a super intelligent child, make there be a reason to bring him back. Oh, I want control of this other robot, this better robot. Whine, 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 I'm a spoiled bitch. Like, what? This episode did not need him. He did not advance the plot. All he was there to do was slightly delay them from getting on the plane and then reactivate the robot after Zeta had dispatched it. That was it. It was a total of, like, 90 seconds that they could have filled with anything else. Speaking of that giant killer robot, I would think 
that it would have something other than gas grenades for dealing with these security guys. Thank I mean, you. Really? You're, this gigantic killer robot from a secret government organization is just going to throw gas grenades at, at everybody? And, furthermore, I swear to God, it looked like that thing was shooting cinnamon buns out of its wrists. <laughs> I didn't notice. Oh, those are... Yeah, that's red right. Red yeah. discs. These little red disc things that they just kind of bounced off of rock. I, I thought they were supposed to blow something up, but when he's reactivated, Zeta picks up this rock, this slab of rock to block them, and they bounce off. They don't explode. They just kind of bounce off. And they, they really did look like cinnamon buns. I got to say, my biggest gripe with this one is Zeta's motivation. Thank you. Oh, I have to go save the merchant of death, is what this guy has called people. That's what this mm-hmm. arms dealer is called, the Merchant of Death. I have to save him because the government is wrong for wanting to assassinate him. Never mind that he is probably oppressing the nation in which he lives and is probably doing more than selling weapons. There's probably prostitution and drugs and more murdering. It really reminded me of Barbara Gordon getting all up in Batman's face when she thought she when she thought he killed a terrorist. Yeah, it's like, dude, it's really. I mean, it's like get off your high horse, you know. Like, if the robot was going to kill a politician who maybe had, I don't know, some questionable dealings, then I could see Zeta saving the guy. But someone that is called the Merchant of Death doesn't deny that's what he does. Um, no, you don't go to save that guy. You don't. At all. I mean, is, is he going to go save Osama bin Laden? That, from- that's, that's my point exactly. Oh, we can't assassinate a terrorist. What? Shut up. Roe is on our, on our side yeah. here. <laughs> well, you so. needed someone to play that role. You needed someone to say, wait a minute, wait a minute, what are we doing? We're going to be saving a guy who relishes this nickname the government has given him? Uh, no. Speaking of Roe, why does she all of a sudden think that Bucky bought the remote control at Gizmo Shack, or whatever they called it, when she saw him fucking use it two episodes ago? She knows he invented it. She saw the, 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 the confession that the guy stole it from the kid. Now, why is she seriously thinking? She's not teasing him. She seriously thinks that. Uh, did you notice the, the uh, not a continuity flub, I guess, but a, a, an animation flub real early on? Where? Bucky blows up the lab, and the headmistress or whatever is bringing him back to his dorm, right? Bucky's dirty in the hall, but when she chucks him into the room, he's spotless. <laughs> wow, I can't believe I missed that. Head to toe in dirt. I thought you would have caught this. And then, yeah, she throws him in the room, and he's clean, completely clean. I know what I, why I missed it, because I was so disgusted at the fact that Bucky was back. <laughs> I was face-palming at that point, and I probably just missed it. Those guys that got crushed by that humongous pallet of bananas are dead. Oh, yeah. Uh, they No, you're not coming out of there. I, literally, the other day at work, uh, one of my coworkers brought up just this little hand cart with two boxes of bananas on it. Just two boxes. That was 80 pounds, just with two boxes. Wow. wow. And these guys get crushed by this crane full of the shit. <laughs> They're dead. <laughs> I just have a question here. Did who voiced the uh, the IU seven, the big giant robot? I don't I just, know. I've heard I have heard that voice all like in 
all kinds of places and shows and cartoons and whatnot, but I can't remember who the voice actor was. And I tried to look it up, but it's uh, he's like not given credit. Oh, yeah, I, I honestly so. don't know. I, I I must find that out because I, he's a really good voice actor, whoever it is. But uh, speaking of that robot, one of the things I will give this episode is I did like the cliffhanger ending, how they explained why this thing is going to be going after Zeta now. Um, that, you know, it wasn't just his system glitched. There was a reason his system glitched. Because he got confused because he saw Zeta change from his target to himself and back to the target. And that made him go, oh, wait, yeah, I'll go after Zeta. That made sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. really dug that. And I'm actually, in a way, excited to see that guy come back. Yeah, as long as he's not under the control of Bucky. Right, yeah, no, as long as he's just, you know, not even under the control of the government. He's completely on his own, doing whatever he wants, because he thinks that's his assignment. If I, I'll, I'll groove on that. I'll be very excited for his next appearance. Um, is that it, then, for this one? I believe so. Okay, let's do our scores. Let me flip back here. What was the first one called? I don't even remember at this point. Okay, The Accomplice. What are you giving this one? I'm going to give it a 7 right now, but this is definitely one I'll come back to when we have our, you know, Zeta static retrospective. Why do you think uh, you might come back to this one? Because I think I might be undergrading it. Oh, okay. Um, Well, I agree with you. I think it's a 7. His maker's name. I'm going to give that one a 5, but I think I might be overgrading that one. I'm giving that one a 6, and I'm thinking I'm overgrading that one, too. Uh, Remote control. Uh, 3. Three. Hmm. I am going to give this one a five, and I don't know why. No, I'm going to give it a four. I'll change that right on the spot. That is not getting a five from me. Change of heart. Change of heart. I'll give a five. I will give that one a five as well. And lastly, the next gen. Hmm. This one I'm having a little trouble with. I have a lot of, well, of course we had a lot of problems with this. I'm going to give this one a three. And I will give that a four. Don't hog the stars. Don't hog the stars. Don't We're hog too the bizarre. stars. Our Don't brains are on Mars. Feedback in the form of emails and MP3s can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss five more episodes from the Zeta Project. Those being Westbound, Hicksburg, Shadows, Crime Waves, and Taffy Time. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. Thank you.